at verse 1, chapter 1, verse 6. Now, what we have here is a long section, a long section where there are lots of Old Testament quotes. Now, what is going on is we are overhearing, we are listening to God talk to his son, probably most, probably most assuredly at the ascension, his enthronement at the right hand of God. When his uh, work is completed, his salvation work is completed, and he is um, ascended into heaven, and we'll talk about being seated at the right hand of God. These are statements that God is making about his son that were in the Old Testament, and we are able to overhear what is being said. So verse 6, when again he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, okay, he is God. The firstborn is Christ, okay? When he brings him into the world, he says, and all God's angels, yours will say, worshiped him. The word is actually, they fell on their knees before him. Okay? That's the actual word, but it's usually translated worship. They fell on their knees before him because he was the son of God. And so this statement is from uh, the psalm, Psalm 104, verse 4. You will find it there. And it is certainly saying that the Son is above the angels. They are subordinate in rank and in status. Okay? And then he goes on with another quote. And to the angels, he says, uh, the one who made his angels spirits or spirit and servants, his servants, with a flame of fire. This comes from Psalm 45, and he's talking about the fact that uh, the position of the God made the angels, okay? God created the angels as spirits. But then there's a very interesting word used again in the second part of this. God made the angels spirits, and his servants with a flame of fire. Okay, his servants. The word right there for servants is actually liturgists. Liturgists. Now, this word is applied to the Old Testament priests who carried on the sacrifices for, in behalf of, the people. Okay? The priests were God's servants on earth. And here, it's using the same word to say the angels are God's servants in heaven. The angels do not do as they please. They do as God directs them. Now, he said that to the angels, but then it says to the Son. Okay? To the Son. Your throne, God, is forever and ever, and the rod of equity is the rod of your kingdom. Okay, this is said to the Son. 
it's saying that the throne of God is his. Now, this is going all the way back to the promises made to David and Solomon. That their, that their descendants would sit on the throne forever. And the only way that is possible is that one of the descendants was the Son of God. God is saying, your throne is forever. Is forever. It will last forever. Thus fulfilling the promises made to David and Solomon. And the word there is rod, but it's probably best translated scepter. Okay? The scepter of equity. In other words, he will judge correctly. Is the scepter of your kingdom. Okay? So there will be judgment with equity in his kingdom. Again, this is the Father speaking to the Son. You have hated right, uh, you have loved righteousness and hated, hated lawlessness. Okay? Lawlessness. So, the Son of God is like God in that He is holy. Holiness, righteousness is what He wants. But He hates disobedience, just like the Father. For this reason, God, your God anointed you with the oil of gladness or exaltation above your companions. Anointed in Hebrew means Messiah. Anointed in Greek means Christ. Okay? So here we have God anointing his son because he is the Messiah. He is Christ with the oil of gladness because he has fulfilled the uh, task, the mission that God sent him to do. He has brought salvation to the world. The oil of gladness above your companions. Now, who are your companions? The first thought would be angels, but that's probably not correct. It's probably us. We are his companions through faith in him. Okay, so he's anointed beyond us, above us, with the oil of gladness. Okay, then he continues. Uh, we have a chapter here from these, these verses are from Psalms chapter 102. For you, Lord, from the beginning, have laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. Okay? So God, the Son, uh, you know, we talk about Jesus being the mediator of creation. From John, nothing was made that has been made, okay? And all things were made through him. But here it's saying he is actually a creator, okay? Actually a creator. He brought about these things. 
you are the same and will not cease. Will not cease. Okay? Oh, I skipped a verse. Um, all right. Now, speaking of the heavens and the, the earth, he says, they will be destroyed, but you will remain. You will remain. And all his garments will wear out or become old. And as mantles or garments, they will be rolled up. As garments, they will be changed. In other words, what's being said is this. The created world, the land, the heavens, are going to disappear. And this, of course, is referring to when Jesus comes again. The world as we know it, the things as we know it, are going to disappear. It says they're going to roll them up. Well, at one point it says they'll be rolled up like a scroll. Okay? They're going to disappear. But Christ is going to remain. And when it says, you are the same and will not cease, you are the same, this will be reiterated later in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13, where it says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and always. Okay? So this will be repeated later in chapter 13. Okay? All right. To some of his angels, he said then, no, to none of his angels has he said, sit at my right hand until I place your enemies uh, as a footstool for your feet. Okay. Now this, this is now closing. He never said to any angel, sit at my right hand. He's never said that. That is the seat for the Son of God. That is the seat for the Savior who has conquered. If we trace the right hand of God through all of Scripture, what we see is it's his strong arm of salvation. So, when Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of God, it's the right hand of strength. It is not a chair, okay? It's a seat of power. Uh, Jesus is not confined to heaven in a chair. It is the seat of power. Okay? And so he sits in the seat of power with all his enemies under his feet. Now notice it says they are subjected to him. It does not say he destroyed them. But they are subjected to him. They are put under him. Okay? Because he is um, the Lord um, and he gives, see, the Son, he gives, God gives that name to him, Lord. Lord. He is the author of creation. He is always the same. Everything is put under him. And by the way, sit at my right hand and I will put all things under your feet is a quote from Psalm 110, verse 1. 
110, verse 1. Okay? So all these statements God is saying to his son when he is enthroned in heaven. And God is letting us overhear what is going on. Okay? What is going on. And then he has a final statement here about the angels. Because he says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for those who, to, who are to inherit salvation? So the angels have been created to serve those who will inherit salvation. Okay? So this long section, the description of Christ and what God says to his son has now closed. And we shift gears here. We shift gears here to chapter 2. Now, yeah. He's writing to Jewish people. They know who God is. They know who angels are, sort of. Is he trying to explain to them exactly where Christ fits in? Well, yes, to some degree. Now, he's writing to Jews, but they are probably converted Jews. So they know something of this. But what we see in chapter 1, the only way to describe it is majestic. That God describes his son in terms of glory, victory, uh, majesty, so that they know. You remember how the book started? In these last days, he has spoken to you by his son. God wants them to know this is me speaking. This is God speaking. This isn't some created angel. This is God speaking. And so the emphasis is on the majesty of the Son, and he uses all these Old Testament quotes to say, this has always been there. I told you this before. Okay? This has been my plan from the start. Yes? No, he's ta this word would refer only to believers. Only to believers. Yes. So, God the Father is speaking. He reveals to the Son. All right, this is already deep understanding. Yes. Uh, reincarnation. Reincarnation. You know, well, the thing is, you know, Arius wanted to say Jesus was a created being. I think it's a classic example, Mark. Uh, the question is, with all this description, how did Arius, in the, at the time of, of, of you know, two, three hundred A.D., miss all this and declare that Christ is a, not the same as God, but a created being, like God, but not God. And I think that it's, it may be one of those classic examples where, and, and we come across them all the time through Scripture, where you are confronted with the Word of God and it sounds impossible, so you resort to human reason. And as soon as you leave the scriptures and report, uh, 
fall back on human reason as your guide. Human reason is affected by the sinful nature just like everything else. So in looking for an easy answer, you look for one that's easy for a human being to understand. And it's wrong. So you have fled from the Scriptures. Instead of looking for the answer in the Scriptures, you have gone the way of human reason. That's the only way I can explain it, to have this on a page and you still say, well, that, that can't quite be, it must be this way, is, is going back to human reason. And we get into trouble, you know, you get into trouble like that all over. You get into trouble like that with the Trinity. You get into trouble like that with the real presence of, of Christ in the sacrament. You get, uh, you get into that when, when uh, the whole thing of him seated at the right hand of God. There are those that believe he is nailed to the chair and cannot leave. And then you know what they extrapolate from that? Therefore, he can't be present in the sacrament. It's just bread and wine. Because they can't get their head around the fact that God is God, and if God wants, if Jesus Christ, who has a human body, wants to be present in all places with a human body, he may do so. But by reason, they say, that can't be, and then they get into all this trouble. So human beings, when you resort to reason and abandon the Scriptures, you're going to have problems. And that's probably why Arius was so uh, missed it. Now the first uh, verse, th this chapter 2 then shifts. It shifts. We've had this majestic chapter, God speaking to his son, and now things switch to the very congregation that the author is writing to. After they have overheard this, after they have overheard this, then what does the writer say? Because of this, or for this reason, it is necessary for you to pay close attention to the things you have heard, or we have heard, lest we fall away, lest we go astray. So, notice how he begins. For this reason, your, your, your translation probably says, therefore, based on everything that God said in chapter 1, therefore, you better listen. You better listen. This is God speaking, and you better pay attention, lest you go astray. Okay? Lest you go astray. Pay constant attention. The term go astray is a very uh, descriptive term because it's actually used of a ship who is no longer moored to the harbor, but floats away into the ocean. That's what the word means. So, you're adrift. If you don't listen and you don't pay attention, you're going to be adrift. You're going to drift away. Okay? You're going to drift away. Now, um, next verse. For since the message declared by angels proved valid, and every transgression 
or disobedience received a just punishment, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? All right. We are told in various places in the scriptures that when Moses were on, was on the mountain, that God spoke through the angels the law of God. It was mediated by angels. Now, God gave his law, and if you disobeyed it, if you disobeyed it, there was just punishment for that. Just punishment. That's a simple statement. That is true. Because the law was valid. It was legally valid. It was given at Sinai, mediated through the angels, the law of God, and if you disobey the law of God, there is punishment. But then he goes on. How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? In other words, now we're talking the gospel of salvation. Not given by angels, but by the Son himself. Okay? Not given by angels, but by the Son himself. It is also valid. It's a lesser to greater argument. You thought you were in trouble when you didn't obey the law? Imagine how much trouble you're going to be in if you reject Jesus Christ. If you reject the Savior that God sent to you, imagine the trouble you're going to be in. Now, he's speaking this to this congregation, and we talked about this last week. We firmly believe that this sermon was written to a congregation of Jewish converts that were being persecuted and some of them were thinking about leaving the Christian faith and going back. So that's why he says this. That's why he says this. You thought you were in trouble if you broke God's law. Think of the trouble you're going to be in if you reject the salvation that Christ has brought you. He's warning the congregation of this. Right here. Warning the congregation how great the disaster will be. It was declared first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard. Okay? So in other words, it was spoken first by the Lord, Jesus Christ, and was attested to us by those who heard. In other words, the author is saying, we got this from the apostles who heard the Lord say it. Okay? Remember, we looked at this passage last week as a possible hint of who might have written the letter. Uh, not that it tells us, but it was someone who heard these words from the apostles. Okay? While God also bore witness by signs, wonders, and various acts or miracles, by the gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed or uh, 
um, apportioned according to his will. Okay? According to his will. So he's trying to get this congregation's attention. He's trying to get this congregation's attention. Don't fall away. Don't go back. Don't go back to the law. Okay? Don't go back to the law. Jesus Christ is the only Savior. Okay. Verse 5. For not to the angels did he subject the world to come concerning which we speak. Okay? He's reminding them he did not entrust the world to come to angels. He did not subject them to the angels. It was subjected to Christ. Okay? All things were put under his feet. But then he says, but in a particular passage bears witness. Now this next section is a quote from Psalm 8. Who is man that he has remembered him? The son of man that he visits or cares for him. But for a little while he made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor. And all things were subjected underneath his feet. All right. Now, Gird up your loins, because this is hard. We want to make four points about this, and this has been analyzed and studied for a long time. When we get to Psalm 8, it talks a lot about the creation of the world. So point number one, we believe the first line, what is man that you have remembered him, refers to Adam refers to Adam. And the son of man that you should visit or care for him refers to the son of man, Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, there is a kinship between the two. And the common denominator is this. They both had a human body. The Son of Man took up humanity in a human body to die and to rule over the world and to share that victory with his human brothers and sisters. Okay? So he took up this human body to die, to work our salvation. He rose even, his, his body rose, so that everybody in this world who believes in him will rule with him. And that's why Hebrews, as we go later, will call us and him brothers because we share a human body. Okay? Point number two. For a little while, he was created lower than the angels. What is the little while? The little while would be from Jesus' humiliation when he was born into this world, 
to his exaltation when he rose from the dead. Okay? He was made a little lower than the angels. He had a human body. He had a human body. So he was made a little lower than the angels. But the little while refers to his time on earth. Okay? So God made the sun lower than the angels for a short time in world history. Then he crowned him in glory so that his human brothers could rule with him in the age to come. God's goal was reached. God's goal was reached in the glorification of Christ's human body because that's what God wanted for human beings all along. That's what he wanted for Adam, and Adam sinned. So God works through Jesus Christ becoming a human being, bringing salvation, so that someday when we all rise and our bodies are resurrected, we will have glorified bodies just like God wanted for Adam in the first place. So God's purpose will have been fulfilled. Okay? And all things are then underneath the feet of the sun. All right? Now, that's a mouthful, but that's what we believe is being discussed here. That God is working this glorification. Now, look at verse 9. But we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor, because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Now here we begin to have the whole concept of Christ as our substitute. He had to be our substitute. We taste death. All die. In order for him to be our substitute, he had to be like us. Therefore, he took on a human body so that he could taste death just like we do. He had to have a human body because he had to die. To be our Savior, he had to die. He had to die. For now, we don't see everything subjected to Christ. We don't see it. With our natural eyes, we do not see it. We wish we could. There are sure things we'd like to see subjected to Christ. But we don't see it now. When we're talking about this, the scriptures use one Greek word for seeing as we are not able to see yet. And another word for seeing when we see the age to come. But the interesting thing about this is, according to the scriptures, we already see with different eyes what's coming. 
With natural eyes, we don't see it. But with enlightened eyes, given to us by the Holy Spirit through the Word, we have a glimpse of what is coming. We have a glimpse. It's called the, 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 the now and the not yet. Now we don't see it. It's not yet here, but it's coming. So we have natural eyes, and we have enlightened eyes. Through enlightened eyes, we see what Christ has promised and what will come. Through enlightened eyes. But through natural eyes, all we see is the world. We see, what we see with these enlightened eyes is, we see Christ and us united in death and in resurrection. With enlightened eyes, we see the risen Christ and know that we are raised with him. With enlightened eyes. And at some point, when he comes again, we will see it with real eyes. It won't just be a vision through the word. It will be through what we will actually see and experience. And so, for now, it doesn't look like Jesus Christ is in control of all things. Doesn't look like he's in control of the world. But, he is. But with our natural eyes, we don't see it. We have to continually remind ourselves He is. He is. And we are His children. And we are safely in His hand. Because this powerful, majestic, glorified Son who has won our salvation and who has seated at the right hand of God, has all things under his feet and has all power. And that's what the author of Hebrews wants the members of this congregation to know. Don't go back. Stay with your faith in Christ. All right, it's time for questions. We're not going to race through this book, folks. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which we know isn't the case. Right. But the attributes of the angels, they're a spirit. Yes. Any common attributes with us, or is it, are we? Well, the thing you have to remember with angels is they cannot sin. They do not sin. They live forever. They live forever. They do not sin, and they are perfectly obedient to God. They only do what he tells them to do. They are, no, they are not their own autonomous individuals. They do only what God wants them to do. Yeah. And the other question is, you left it hanging. Which, which uh, letter of Paul has the most Old Testament letter? Well, it's not Hebrews. It's probably, I don't know, it's probably Romans. I would guess. I would guess. One of the guys did guess it, and he said he was wrong. Yeah, well, that's the world's knowledge, isn't it? All right, other things.
Yes. Okay, Satan and his band are evil angels, and they only do evil. They are confirmed in evil, so they only do evil, okay? They only do evil, where God's angels only do the right thing, what God wants them to do. And they can't change sides, okay? Evil angels can't come over to the other side. It was confirmed from the fall, that's the way it is, okay? Yes, anything? Oh, well, they wouldn't. This was some kind of, uh, this was a person that knew the scriptures well. That's why Luther guessed it was Apollos, because it is said of Apollos that he was a scholar. But we do not know that. Okay? Yes, Mark. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and then you get into the whole thing of which one was written first, Galatians or Hebrews. And the guess would probably be Galatians, but you know, we've got to realize that New Testament Christians did not have the Bible. They didn't have it. If they had the scroll of one of Paul's letters, it was kept and read to the congregation. They didn't have personal copies, okay? It's very different, very different. Would this have been a traveling letter? Don't know, don't know, yes. Verse 8. Um, the question is, when he calls his angels with a flame of fire, is there anything that tells us why? Well, there are some uh, records, uh, accounts in the Old Testament where angels did appear in fire, but there's nothing that gives us any hint about it. Nothing that gives us any hint. Yes, sir. Yes, uh, reason is a good thing unless it's magisterial, that is, it's over everything. So you read the scriptures and say that's not reasonable, and you base your conclusions on reason. Ministerial is that it ministers to the answer, but it's not the final answer, okay? It's a use for good, but the majesty of God's Word is over human reason. Yeah. All right. Better close. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.